I've been listening to Daryl Hart's lectures on Machen and uh, also just recently started reading this, Defending the Faith uh, by D.G. Hart, uh, J. Gresham Machen and the Crisis of Conservative Protestantism in Modern America. And uh, I was listening to one of those lectures today. I've been listening and re-listening. I'd like to do um, a few more programs about Machen like this. Uh, but one thing that uh, Hart was doing, he was quoting from Harry Emerson Fosdick's sermon, um, uh, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? And I've, I've got the text of it here pulled up, and I found the quotes that, that Hart was uh, quoting from. And I just want to quote this and um, contrast it with Scripture uh, and just make some comments, because what you see here is the liberal detestation, uh, the liberal detestation of truth and of theology. Now, listen to this. Uh, one of the things that Fosdick does is, you know, there's all these problems in the world, and there's all, all these, these issues and problems. Now, this is 1922, so this is, you know, four years after the close of World War One. World War I was, was an absolute unmitigated catastrophe, um, that it was a war the likes of which had never been seen in the history of the world. Okay, you think of, you know, decisive battles in the ancient world where tens of thousands of people got killed in these battles that changed world history, and that certainly is true, and those battles are really important. World War One, at the end of four years of, of combat, left 10 million soldiers dead, left the entire landscape devastated, cratered. Uh, with millions of, of shells that had, had hit and exploded, uh, four monarchies had fallen, and more than twice that number of people had been wounded. Uh, you want to see something that'll give you nightmares, uh, Google the broken faces of World War I. It's, it's absolutely appalling. The injuries that were sustained and the lives that were ruined by uh, all of that violence and machine guns and chemical warfare and, and everything else that went on in World War I, the trench warfare, is absolutely horrifying. And it, it certainly um, it left a, a cynical attitude uh, in Europe and the world to see all that carnage and an entire generation of uh, European young men uh, wiped out completely. So the world had all these big problems, but it was also a time, 19, the 1920s, the, the roaring 20s, a time of unprecedented you know, expansion of wealth and technology, invention, and the liberals had really imbibed from the spirit of the age, of the, the so-called scientifically enlightened era that they lived in. Well, nobody can believe in a virgin birth anymore. No, no one can believe in the divine inspiration of, of Scripture and the supernatural miracle uh, things that are recorded in Scripture. Nobody can believe in that. And so uh, R.C. Sproul has described liberalism as simple unbelief. What is liberalism? It's unbelief. That's all it is. And... Fosdick uh, has very little use for theology, and he has very little use for anyone who thinks that we should defend um, theology to, to the extent that we denounce people that reject what the Bible says about these various things as being heretics or not, or not Christians. He absolutely hates that idea. So here's what he proposes. Here's what we need to do to solve the world's problems. Here, here's what Fosdick says. The first element that is necessary is a spirit of tolerance and Christian liberty. Okay, now I'm going to resist the temptation to comment on every sentence in this, but of this, this part of his sermon. 
Um, but anytime you hear people crying out for tolerance, 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 now there is a form of tolerance that is very important and very good. We ought to tolerate um, and be, be kind to people that we don't agree with. But we do not, we do not, we must not acknowledge as Christians those who reject Christianity. And that was always the problem with this is these guys have every right to disbelieve scripture, but they do not have the right to stay in the church and try to infect the church with unbelief. And so this guy who doesn't believe in the virgin birth and doesn't believe in the substitutionary atonement and doesn't believe in the inspiration of scripture, he's crying out for tolerance and Christian liberty. That's like the Judaizers or the Gnostics crying out to the apostles John and Paul, oh, well, you're so intolerant, you're so unloving to call us antichrists and to call the anathema of God down upon us, etc. Says Fazit, quote, when will the world learn that intolerance solves no problems? This is not a lesson which the fundamentalists alone need to learn. The liberals also need to learn it. Then he goes on to there, you know, liberals can be intolerant too, just like he is. Okay, he goes on to say, nevertheless, it is true that just now the fundamentalists are giving us one of the worst exhibitions of bitter intolerance that the churches in this country have ever seen. As one watches them and listens to them, he remembers the remark of General Armstrong of Hampton Institute, quote, cantankerousness is worse than heterodoxy, end quote. We heard the same thing in the PCA. We, we denounced the LGBT agenda. We denounced uh, the federal vision. And what was the response of the other side? You guys are mean. We don't like your tone. You're being cantankerous. Of course, no, none of our critics were sophisticated enough to use a word that with that many syllables in it, cantankerousness. He says, there are many opinions in the field of modern controversy concerning which I am not sure whether they are right or wrong. But, but there is one thing I am sure of. Courtesy and kindness and tolerance and humility and fairness are right. Opinions may be mistaken. Love never is. Oh my goodness, that is so that's, ex that, that's all the other side can do. That's all they can do. Well, you guys aren't being courteous. I mean, when Paul denounced the Judaizers as heretics and called down the curse of God on them, oh, Paul, where's your tolerance? Where's your humility? Where, why aren't you being fair? Why, why aren't you being courteous and kind? And John, oh, you use that Greek word antichristos, antichrists. Where's your love, man? Where's the love, man? Unbelievable. The, the bad guys never change their tactics. They can't defend this stuff. And so all they can say is, you're mean. Machen denounced them as false teachers. What was their response to him? Did they go to the text of scripture to, to uh, bolster their position? No, they just said, you're just being mean and cantankerous. You're not being charitable and loving. You're divisive. Says Fosdick, as I plead thus for an intellectual, intellectually hospitable, tolerant, liberty-loving church, I am, of course, thinking primarily about this new generation. We have boys and girls growing up in our homes and schools, and because we love them, we may well wonder about the church which will be waiting to receive them. Now, the worst kind of church that can possibly be offered to the allegiance of the new generation is an intolerant church. Sir, you are wrong. It's not about tolerance or intolerance. It's about commitment to the truth, such that we recognize error, we recognize false doctrine, and we denounce it, and we get it out. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
And so, yeah, you've got to get rid of false doctrine and the people that preach false doctrine. That's not intolerance in the, in the sense that he's using the term here. Yeah, we're not supposed to tolerate error and heresy and false teaching. Says Fosdick, quote, Ministers often bewail the fact that young people turn from religion to science for the regulative ideas of their lives. But this is easily explicable. Science treats a young man's mind as though it were really important. A scientist says to a young man, here is the universe challenging our investigation. Here are the truths which we have seen so far. Come, study with us. See what we, have already, what we already have seen, and then look further to see more. For science is an intellectual adventure for the truth. Can you imagine any man who is worthwhile turning from that call to the church if the church seems to say to him, come and we will feed you opinions from a spoon. No thinking is allowed here except such as brings you to certain specified predetermined conclusions. These prescribed opinions we will give you in advance of your thinking. Now think, but only so as to reach these results, end quote. I mean, this guy, there's nothing. There's nothing that's actually true. I mean, for Mr. Fosdick here, I would ask him, are there any truths that are fixed, settled, and unchanging? Is there anything that we can pass on to the next generation? What about mathematics? Okay, um, 9 times 5 is 45. Is that a fix? Am I, am I just spoon-feeding that to the rising generations that you must come to this conclusion? Are there any facts in theology? Does the Bible teach anything that is actually true that we can rest on and actually pass on as a settled, fixed truth to the next generation? It sounds like he's basically saying, no, no. These prescribed opinions, he calls them, so that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, by his cross and by his righteousness imputed to us, that's just a prescribed opinion? That I spoon-feed someone? No. That's, we go to the data. What's the data? Scripture. Those are the findings of the great theologians and great churchmen of the past that, that are based upon reading and studying God's word. They're fixed and settled truths of the word of God. They're not opinions we spoon-fed and then we won't tolerate any results but these. I mean, is Fosdick saying you can come to the result, you can come to the conclusion that there's 12 persons in the Godhead? And if we say, no, the Bible teaches us, oh, you're intolerant, you're a bigot, you're, you're, you're not liberty-loving, you're not hospitable, you're not kind, you're cantankerous. Liberalism is unbelief. He doesn't believe the Bible gives us any conclusions. Unbelief. It just makes me angry to read this, and I hope it's a righteous, I hope I'm not offending anybody, I hope my cantankerousness is not hurting anyone's feelings. And then he says this, My friends, nothing in all the world is so much worth thinking of as God, Christ, the Bible, sin, and salvation. Yeah, just make sure you don't define those terms. Because if you define them, then you're just spoon-feeding people with opinions in advance. I mean, come on. The divine purposes for humankind, life everlasting. But you cannot challenge the dedicated thinking of this generation to these sublime themes upon any such terms as are laid down by an intolerant church. Oh, yes. God, Christ, the Bible, sin, and salvation, the divine purposes for humankind, life everlasting. You can have any opinion of that that you want. You can believe anything you want about that. You can believe that Jesus was a Stoic philosopher uh, who died on the cross and his body was thrown to dogs to be eaten. And if I say, no, the Bible doesn't teach, oh, you're intolerant, 
You're part of an intolerant church. Folks, if the church is that willy-nilly about, oh, just little minor things like God, Christ, the Bible, sin, and salvation, does he not realize the things that God has spoken in Scripture about those monumental things, God, Christ, the Bible, sin, salvation, the divine purposes for humankind, life everlasting, are the most important biblical things that God has spoken to us? They're the most important things a human mind could ever come to know. And the reason that God has spoken to those things, God, Christ, sin, salvation, the divine purpose, is because without divine revelation in Scripture, what we know about them is wrong and will lead us to hellfire. So the first thing, the first solution to all of the world's problems, according to Harry Emerson Fosdick, is we need to be a tolerant church, meaning we tolerate beliefs about the, the most important things in the world that are completely at odds with one another and completely at odds with the biblical text. I want to suggest to you that is the opposite of what the world needs. Jesus said, you will know the truth. Yeah, that, that fixed, unchanging, settled, divinely revealed truth, and the truth will set you free. Then says Fosdick, the second element which is needed if we're to reach a happy solution of this problem is a clear insight into the main issues of modern Christianity and a sense of penitent shame that the Christian church should be quarreling over little matters when the world is dying of great needs. <laughs> yeah, little matters, like what you believe about God, Christ, the Bible, salvation, sin, those are little matters that we're quarreling over. He says, if during the war, when the nations were wrestling upon the very brink of hell, and at times all seemed lost, you chanced to hear two men in an altercation about some minor matter of sectarian denominationalism. Could you restrain your indignation? It's absolutely, it's hard not to just really get angry at this. During the war, meaning World War One. The nations were resting on the brink of hell. If you heard people arguing about some minor matter of sectarian denominationalism, then what does he think minor matters are? The virgin birth? What do you believe about sin, grace, the cross, Jesus, the resurrection? How, how we're made right with God? The day of judgment? Heaven, hell, justification, sanctification? Those are matters of sectarian denominationalism. Uh, Mr. Fosdick, Mr. Fosdick, if the Christian church have been busy evangelizing with the truth about all those things. That war upon which many stood upon the brink of hell would never have happened. It might never have happened if people had been committed to the truth about those things and those things had been preached and taught in all your liberal apostate churches. That war where many were wrestling on the brink of hell might not have ever happened. Because if God had regenerated multitudes of people, maybe they wouldn't have, you know, put mustard gas up against one another and fired millions of shells at each other. You ever think of that? Maybe they'd been born again if no one listened to you and people listened to the scriptures instead. It says Fosdick here, you said, what can you do with folks like this who in the face of colossal issues play with the tiddlywinks and peccadilloes of religion? So how we get to heaven, God, Christ, sin, salvation, Jesus, the virgin birth, the person of Jesus, what the cross accomplishes, 
how sinners uh, are granted repentance unto life and justified, those are tiddlywinks and peccadillos of religion that people are playing with instead of really facing the colossal issues of our time. Folks, the most colossal issue of our time is people aren't born again. And they're not going to be born again unless we get all this stuff right from Scripture. Says Fosdick, so now, when from the terrific questions of this generation, one is called away by the noise of this fundamentalist controversy, he thinks it's almost unforgivable that men should tithe mint and anise and cumin and quarrel over them when the world is perishing for the lack of the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. What a massacre of that passage. When Jesus chided the Pharisees, yeah, they did neglect the weightier matters of the law, but Mr. Fosdick, how a person's justified before God is the weightiest matter of the law. And whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin is the weightiest matter of the law. How we're made right with God. Oh, my goodness. He says, the present world situation smells to heaven. And now in the presence of colossal problems, which must be solved in Christ's name, and for Christ's sake, the fundamentalists propose to drive out from the Christian churches all the consecrated souls who do not agree with their theory of inspiration. What immeasurable folly! So if people don't, don't agree with my theory of justification, oh, what folly! if you try to bring charges against them and get them out of the church. What folly! Folks, if the Christian church does not experience revival, a revival of love for the truth of Jesus Christ and the doctrines of Scripture, these very fundamentalist doctrines, the theory of inspiration, the virgin birth of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, Mr. Fosdick, if you don't preach that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is a judicial, legal, substitutionary, atoning work that satisfies the justice of God, if you don't understand that and believe that, you're not a Christian. The world's problems will never be solved by brute force. They can only be addressed and they can only be solved by the true gospel. And the gospel is doctrine. What he calls tiddlywinks and Hecadillos of religion, Jesus called the truth that sets men free. Get that wrong? It doesn't matter how, quote-unquote, moral you think you can get, make the world by your moralizing sermons. What the world needs is a supernatural visitation from on high. What we need more than anything is what the prophet Hosea called cutting through the fallowed ground. You know what the real problem with Fosdick and his friends, his liberal friends were? Their hearts were hardened, crusted over ground. Hardened, hardened and crusted over ground that nothing could grow in. And many years ago, I don't have a green thumb at all. Many years ago, there was a patch of grass uh, in the backyard of my house, and I, I couldn't get grass to grow in it for nothing. And I, I don't know anything about planting this. It was so hot, my kids always ran through that path to get to the backyard, and I was determined to get grass to grow there. And I kept throwing grass seed on it and watering it, and nothing happened. And so I looked up. I thought, you know, I had this memory about Charles Ingalls pulling a plow behind, uh, behind a, a beast of burden there on, on the, the little house on the prairie. 
And I thought, maybe I should chop up the ground. So I took a straight edge shovel and just chopped up that little square of ground. Chopped it up really, really, really well. And then I scattered some seed on it, put some fertilizer, some straw, and then I watered it. And all the grass grew. And it was beautiful. And it was like, I wouldn't let anybody touch it. Nobody was allowed to walk on it. It was like I guarded it. What we need is the plow. What's the plow? The Holy Spirit of God. Only the Holy Spirit can cut through that fallow ground. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's why I pray every Sunday for revival. If God doesn't bring revival, none of the world's problems are going to be solved. The idea of, well, you need a church that tolerates soul-damning heresy and every kind of gross sexual deviant. That's... <laughs> All, that, all that's going to do is speed up the bobsled to hell. What we need is the Holy Spirit of God to cut through the fallowed ground so that the seeds of the gospel can grow. That's what we need more than anything. I want to encourage you, pray that the Holy Spirit of God will do that. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God will cut through the fallowed ground of the hearts of this nation so that the true gospel, that we are justified by faith in Christ alone, by his work alone, will be heard, and that the Holy Spirit will grant repentance unto life saving faith in Jesus. Without that, we'll never solve any of the world's problems. Thank you for watching or listening.